Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul by chatting with incredible leaders, healers, and change agents who give you their messages of hope after overcoming challenges of their own. And today we're talking to inspirational speaker, author, and motivational leader, Coot Blackson. You know that feeling that you're meant for something greater, but feel like you're falling short? Are you ready to finally launch and align with your authentic purpose? You're going to love this episode. Coot's the one who helps you discover your true purpose and get you not just out of your funk, but inspire you into your greatness, manifesting the life you were born for. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Coot. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. It's really good to see you. Okay, so I saw on your website, and I I love your YouTubes because they'll put anybody in a good mood. You've got to go. (laughs) You'll be like motivated, like even if you don't know what you're motivated, you're just ready. (laughs) I love watching them. But part of your mission is you help people access their inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill life's purpose. Those are big statements. And I know you've been speaking since you're a little boy. It's such a it's a kind of a great story, and and yet you veer away from what some would say was your life's purpose. And and I love how you didn't do what maybe your dad said. This is what you're supposed to do, son. And and you stayed true to what you felt was right for you. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Because yeah, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. I live in the U.S. now for <laughs> since I was eighteen, eighteen and a half, and so. For me, as a young boy, I always felt a, I felt people's pain and I was a very empathetic kid. And so I would feel people's pain and I wanted to alleviate their pain in some way. I didn't know what that would look like. And so I grew up in a bit of an unusual environment in that my first memories as a young boy was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand that this man walks on. She wipes it on her face and stands up. And so miracle, so to speak. And so I grew up around these miracles, but I thought it was normal. Every week I, I grew up seeing the same man who sends you picked up, look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick. Stand up. And he'd put his hands on them and they would stand up. Somebody would come in with crutches and he would say, throw your crutches away, put his hands on them and they would start walking. Somebody would come in, they had cancer. He would pray for them and they would be cured. This man was my father. And so I grew up in this, I don't know, aura of possibilities. And my father had 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa. He was a very spiritual and mystical man, so to speak. So I was blessed in that sense because I grew up with a real sense of spirituality in sort of the metaphysical realm as well. He had thousands of self-help, personal growth books, spiritual books from Eastern mystics, the Western mystics on his bookshelf. So I was sneaking to my father's bookshelf from the age of eight into his office from the age of eight and read books. And so I became very obsessed with trying to understand life and the, who am I and why am I here? What's the purpose of life? Where do I come from? Where are we going? And so from age eight, I started speaking in my father's church. I was thrown into the audience one day at, at the age of eight, and I had no idea what was happening, but words started coming out of my mouth, and I began. My speaking career began. No from, stage fright, huh? <laughs> you know, I didn't think about it, to be honest. I think I was innocent enough and stupid enough and not really self-aware enough that just I just stood there and something happened. And so uh, from that moment, I would speak every few weeks, every month, every six weeks, every two, every one to two months, I'd be speaking to my dad's church. And, and that was a really 
I know, it was a very special experience looking back now. Yeah, yeah. And so when I was 14, I was actually ordained as a minister. And I was given the mandate to take over my father's organization. And we're, we're talking hundreds of thousands of followers in Ghana, West Africa, right? And 5,000 people every Sunday in London. And so it was announced, unbeknownst to me, that I was the guy that was going to take over my, you know, my father's spiritual legacy and his organization. And when it was announced, I knew that this was, my heart sank because I knew this wasn't my path. This wasn't my destiny. This wasn't my trajectory, my purpose in life. Yeah, I want to just ask, was your mom in line with this? Did she just agree? Was she there? She she didn't really know either. Yeah. Imagine we were both on stage and all of a sudden my mom's on stage. I'm on stage. My dad says to 5,000 people, my son's taking over. And I look at my mom across the stage and she looks at me and she didn't know. And it was just the thing, right? It was just what was happening. And so I knew in that moment that this was not my path. And my heart sank in a certain sense because I knew I wanted to help people. I just knew this wasn't aligned. I knew this wasn't my destiny, at least the form with which I felt called to express. And so I was just too afraid. And my fear was if I speak my truth, if I tell my truth, if I dare to be who I am, I'm going to lose my father. I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be outcast. I'm going to, the community won't love me. And so like many of us, I think we allow fear to hijack our authentic expression. And I said nothing for four years, went along with it. But all the while trying to convince myself that, no, I mean, I could do this. Uh, maybe I could make this work. I can make this happen. And yet there was always this niggling feeling inside of me that something's not aligned, something's not right. So it was a tremendous internal conflict that I went through. And so the shift happened when I was 18. I started feeling a deep calling, a deep nudging to come to Southern California, specifically either like Los Angeles or San Diego, because this is where all of the book, self-help yeah. books, right? this is where all of the authors <laughs> okay, were. Okay, which yeah. ones were you reading? Which were you most drawn to I at mean, a young age? Look, age 11, I was reading Tony Robbins. Age 12, yeah. I started Deepak Chopra, you know, Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Marianne yeah. Williamson, Brian <laughs> Tracy, Jim yeah. Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Stephen Covey. I mean, Dan Millman, Shakti Gawain, the list goes on. and, yeah, and yeah. so. They all seem to live in Southern California. And so I felt this like nudging in my soul, like go to Los Angeles, go to Los Angeles, go to Barbara Angeles, go to Los Angeles, go to Los Angeles. And so, you know, sometimes what your soul guides you to do doesn't always make sense to your logic, doesn't always make sense to your ego or your mind. But I really believe that when we dare to follow our soul, when we follow our soul without compromise, I really believe that we will always end up in the right place and we'll always be guided in the right path, even though the, the, the route that we take may not be the one that we most expect. And so I knew what I had to do because as I looked into my future, the alternative was I take over my father's church and I take it to the next level, become successful. But I thought, what kind of success is it to succeed by the world standards? But if you don't have yourself, if you don't have your peace, if you don't have your integrity, and I felt the pain of my own self-betrayal, and I thought, shit, if I start lying to myself now, I'm going to have to live the rest of my life living a lie. And that felt so painful, age 20, age 30, age 40, age 50, it felt so painful that I knew I knew I couldn't do it. And it was hard. It was difficult. It was terrifying because you know I'm 18, I have no money, I have no support from my father. I'm going to be by myself. I have no college degree. What, I mean, what are my prospects in life? I just, I want to go to self-help, the self-help field. And 
It's not a thing. It's not a thing. At least back now, it's become a bit of a thing with YouTube. But back then, there was nothing. And so I had the conversation with my father. And I think that was the day the trajectory of my life shifted. And I let go of everything I knew, renounced everything, and said, I'm not taking over. My father and I, we didn't speak for two to three years, which was deeply challenging. And that's when I said a prayer to, to God. And I said, God, you have given me a vision. I was on the verge of giving up, but I felt like, you know, universe, you've given me a vision and I feel it and I sense it and I feel I'm meant to reach millions of people in my lifetime. And so don't leave me now, basically. And that's when someone hands me a magazine called The Economist. I look in the back of the magazine. I felt chills in my body. Wasn't sure why. The back of the magazine says American government's giving away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery. And I applied. I won a green card in the green card lottery. And that enabled me to come to the US with two suitcases, $800 in my pocket and uh, showed up with a dream. And then I came and I found many of the teachers and the mentors that mm-hmm. I read about, st- went, studied with them, went to their seminars, harassed some of them, you know, and just learned. And then a few years later, after being in the US, I decided uh, to travel. And I started traveling to Israel, studying with some rabbis, went to Thailand, studied with some monks, ended up in India and had some very deep and profound experiences in India. And it was really my time in India that opened me to a deeper dimension of myself and my own purpose. And I wanted everyone to experience the sort of inner freedom that I was feeling. And it wasn't based on that I was famous or had a house or nothing. I had nothing, but I felt freaking free. And so I thought, how can people experience this? So I just started working with people one-on-one. And this was before coaching was like super popular. One person came, another person came. Then I started to create my own way of working with people. I called it uncoaching. And out of my own inner transformation, I began to create a methodology of working with people. And then people started coming from around around the world. And before you knew it, small groups, large groups, retreats, seminars, and it just began expanding to best-selling books. So that's a bit of my story. I've known about Surrender to Win for a long time. And your book is The Magic of Surrender, which people love. They, and it's a great book. Um, do you want to talk about how you came up with The Magic of Surrender? Yeah, The Magic of Surrender, honestly... It was not the book I wanted to write. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> it, it was not the book I even thought I would write, to be mm-hmm. honest. I sat down one day. My first book had done really very well. It was a national bestseller, You Are the One. And I wanted to write. I thought, I'm going to write another amazing best-selling book. It's going to get me on Oprah. It's going to do this. <laughs> a New York Times bestseller, right? And, and so I sat down with a whiteboard and started, started coming up with all of these clever ideas, at least Coots clever ideas, right? And I brainstormed 50, 75, 100 titles that I thought would be amazing titles, different topics, different angles of what I thought my publisher would want, what I thought the world wanted, what I thought my clients would want, what I thought would build my brand. But the truth is, they were all brilliant ideas, but none of the ideas felt authentic. None of the ideas felt really aligned and true in my being, in my body, in my gut, in my soul. I couldn't look you in the eyes and say, this is the book. This is what feels in integrity. And the only word on this whiteboard that I felt a resonance with was the word surrender. It was like a light around it. I thought, oh, oh, 
shit, surrender. I'm, I don't know if I want to even go there because yeah. you know, we have all of these misconceptions about surrender. And so I was resisting and I had to surrender to the book about mm -hmm. surrender. I saw that this was the book that was seeking to be written. And this was the book that had a soul of its own. And I could lie to myself about it, but it felt, the energy felt so clear that this is what is seeking to come through. And I could have resisted it. And I think many of us, we get sick, we get depressed, we feel tired, we feel exhausted because we're so busy resisting what's true, resisting our destiny, resisting our calling, resisting our purpose. And so I said yes to it. And that's when all of my life, my childhood, my parents, how they met, how they lived, what we, everything began to make sense. And I felt like I was born to write this book about surrender and inspire a whole new way of living. And I would say, to also answer your question, I began to see that the seed of the book was planted a few years ago, because in 2016, my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And she was the person I loved the most. She was like, my, she raised me and she, she taught me about love, you know, and mm -hmm. yeah, my best friend to a degree in a sense, you know, I mean, I really love this woman. And so to hear that she had summer cancer and this was very serious, just shattered my heart. And so I began living in LA. I began to fly back and forth from LA to London every month for a week, three weeks in LA, one week in London, three weeks in LA, entire year. And what started out as the I would say the worst year of my life ended up being the best year of my life. And I had gone into this year with every intention to heal my mother. I was going to will her into health <laughs> yeah. with my su supplements and green powders and, you know, alternative therapies. And after about a month of being with her, I'm like, shit, I don't, I don't think she's that, she's not interested. And so I had to just let go and realize that she has her own soul journey. And that freed me up to just be present with her and love her and just be with her, you know? And about six months into the process of going back and forth, spending time with her, the doctors finally said, there's nothing else we can do. So basically, you know, you're going to die soon. Could be days, weeks, months, but get your affairs in order. And two things happened. Two questions I asked my mother. Number one, my mother's a little Japanese woman. And I asked my mother, are you afraid? Are you afraid of dying? Because clearly that day is is coming. And she looked me in the eyes without wavering. And she simply said, no, I'm not afraid of dying because I know I'm not this body. That even though this body will die, what I am will live. And this body is just a temporary vehicle for my soul. So I'm not afraid of death. I just felt her freedom and her strength, you know? And then I looked mm -hmm. her in the eyes because I wanted, I wanted to be a good son. And I thought, okay, mom, what can I do for you in your final days? to make your, your final days easier. It was a tough conversation. Like, what do you need? Can I buy you something, take you somewhere? And she says to me, and she again looks me in the eyes very sincerely, and she says, there's nothing I need and there's nothing I want. All I want is what God wants for my life. That's it. And I was stunned by her response because it wasn't like a religious statement, but I saw that she was at peace. And I saw that the reason she was at peace, and this entire year, she didn't cry, she didn't moan, she didn't complain, she, and she was a very emotional person, but she was free. She wasn't attached to living. She wasn't attached to dying. She was open to the highest unfolding of her soul's destiny, and, and mm -hmm. she was surrendered. And, and I saw the power of surrender in action 
in that moment, not in an ashram in the Himalayas, but mm -hmm. in a hospital in the midst of death, in the face of your mortality, like this is what Serena looks like. And she was at peace. And so that really, I think, inspired me to, to write the book because when I thought of her, I thought, wow, this is what makes her truly great. But then I reflected on people like Jesus and Buddha and Gandhi, and Muhammad Ali and Bruce Lee and Bob Marley and Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa, and I thought, Mandela, and I thought, these great people, they all, at some point, they surrendered themselves. They surrendered themselves to life. They surrendered themselves to a purpose bigger than themselves. They surrendered themselves to God, the divine, the universe, the infinite intelligence, it, to their soul. In that surrender, they transcended their own human limitations, ego limitations, and they yeah. tapped into another dimension of true potentiality and life was able to use them and live through them and manifest through them in ways that went far beyond their own personality, egos, capacity. And I thought that is the power of surrender. And so I just want to say, you know, I think surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. To me, surrender is the real secret to manifestation. It's the real password to freedom. It's the key to our next level. And yet in our culture, there is this misconception that surrender is weak, that surrender is passive that is giving up, is waving the white flag, that if you surrender, you're going to get left behind, you're going to be a doormat. If you surrender, you won't manifest your goals, your dreams, your desires. And what I'm saying is no. If you really understand the essence of true, authentic surrender, true surrender that these great ones demonstrated throughout history, what if you didn't get less in life, but what if you actually got more, like more than you could have even imagine and envision for yourself. So I don't see surrender as a weak thing. And for me, I am so excited at this time in human history to reframe for people surrender yeah. and invite people to a whole new way of living. And so surrender is to let go of control, or I should say the illusion of control. Yeah. It's yeah. to let go of a way of living where we try to force life to fit our limited idea of how we think it should be and the idea of who we think we should be, how we think life should be, so that we can be open and available and allow life to lead us, life to show us. And I think when we truly surrender and we're open, available, we're open to the infinite possibilities and life. That's when the magic happens. And that's why the book's called The Magic of Surrender. The challenge is we all want the magic, but we often don't want to surrender. It doesn't work that way. No, I love that. I got very moved. I kept saying, I didn't think I got changed. I just got back from a seven-day silent retreat. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm chatty. So I just thought that not talking would be the challenge, but it was all meditation. So it was going within, going within, going within. And I got so moved. I was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> there's my change. <laughs> I'm very sensitive. But I love what you had to say. And for me, surrender means not just going with the flow, which it is, the white flag part, I, somebody used to have a white flag and they'd be like, put it up and say, quit fighting. If you're fighting, you're not surrendered. <laughs> <laughs> and it's beyond, I, I, staying open to beyond my limited vision. And if you go, go where the river's flowing. Stop, stop trying to fight against the, the stream. Mm -hmm. And if you go with it, if you're fighting, you're not surrendered. Yeah. Go where it's easier. That means you've surrendered. That's how it was taught to me. But when you were first talking about surrender, I was thinking that's, it's so not masculine sounding, which is such an old construct, but I can't imagine from where you came from. If you told your father the title of your book, 
to his huge <laughs> congregation. I love all of it, the way you describe yeah. it, because it is. It's surrender your old ideas. Be open to everything, because it is. That the, takes the, courage. Know, it does. It takes tremendous courage. That takes tremendous chutzpah. That takes tremendous heart. That takes tremendous trust. And on some level, surrender is, we could say, a bit more of a feminine Principle. It's just a word, you know? though. And but, you know what it's a word? It is a bit more of a feminine principle to surrender. And we, but we all have masculine and feminine inside yes, of us. Right. But, but it takes time, great power. Every the time power. you hire a coach, have you surrendered certain business ideas? I mean, you know, somebody does that. They're they're taking ideas of their business from a coach. Or there's a lot of different forms of surrender, but I love the way you described it. And just being open to the magic. I mean, everybody wants magic. Everyone wants joy. I mean, they're all higher frequencies anyway. So you seem to really light up when you talked about India. And what I've read about your trips that you took people on to India, they sounded like survival of the fittest for you. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't do those anymore. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah. think so. That didn't sound like surrender, mm-hmm. unless it, people were surrendering to your way of the trips, I guess. No, that, that, it, it was profound surrender, and it took. It was all about teaching people surrender, but I, I just I don't do those anymore. Yeah, so when people ask you like what you do for a living, you say, I'm a motivational teacher. Like, What's the most common question no, you not, get I'm, asked? I'm not a motivational teacher or speaker. Yeah. It may be people are motivated, but if anything, yeah. I'm a transformational teacher. And I help people peel away the layers of their own conditioning so that they can see who they really are and live that in the world. So I help people access their own inner freedom more than anything. And so, so I help for- people transform. So if somebody listening and they want to know, well, what are the first few steps that I could take? Because everybody listening is not going to be able to access you. I mean, they yeah. actually, you can on YouTube and with his books. But, <laughs> and what, we have links to everything for you along with the description of the episode. What are some steps that they can take to help themselves? Sure. Just want to sort of frame it to say, I don't think there's a one-step formula for right. everybody because everybody is different. Yeah. We're all human beings and we all need different things in different moments. But what I will say is, in a general sense, if someone is wondering where they can begin, I think one simple but very real place to start, that if they begin here, life will begin to transform for sure. doesn't matter where you are. One of the things as human beings that keeps us stuck are all the ways that we lie to ourselves. In so many ways, consciously or unconsciously, we lie to ourselves. We BS ourselves and we rationalize the lies and excuses as an unconscious self-protective mechanism to keep the status quo. We stay in relationships that we know are not aligned, are not true, are not aligned, are not authentic. We work jobs that we hate that is not a true expression of our purpose. We say yes when we mean no. We betray our integrity. I mean, the list goes on. And we can get into the reasons why. And so I think that one place where people can start is to begin to look at and ask themselves the question, what lies am I telling myself? There is no transformation without truth. There is no true freedom without truth. The truth will set us free. To me, truth is real yoga. Truth is real. Like real spirituality isn't just prayers and mantras and you know yoga postures. It's telling yourself the freaking truth about who you are, about what you feel, about what's not so. You know, yet I think in so many ways, like 
as a child, I was too afraid to tell my truth to my father because I was afraid of the consequences. And so what I would just encourage people as a support is don't put any pressure on yourself of taking action, to take action. Because sometimes the fear of the consequence of taking the action by telling the truth is what freaks us out. And so unconsciously, we start playing this game of confusion. I don't know what I really feel. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what's really true. I'm not sure if this relationship is right for me. When deep down, we know because there's a part of us at the deepest level that is connected to everything because at that deepest level, we are everything. And so we know, we have a sense. If we're really honest, we know something's not aligned here, but because we're afraid of the consequences. So I tell people, take off the pressure of taking action and just acknowledge the truth. Might sound like, I'm no longer in love with this person. Scares me to think what that might mean. Scares me to think of break. You don't have to break up. You don't have to divorce. But just acknowledge the truth. Haven't been in love for six years, and I'm afraid. Or I hate my job. I've hated my job for the last two years, and I hate it. You don't have to leave. But just acknowledging the truth brings you into relationship with what is, brings you into relationship with reality. And you can't change reality until you're in relationship without any judgment. And so what lies am I telling myself? Really start telling the truth. What am I pretending to not know? Thirdly, I would invite people as they go down the path of the truth to begin acknowledging their feelings and acknowledging the pain, the pain of not telling themselves the truth. Because when we don't tell ourselves the truth, whether we're aware or not, it is painful. And often the pain that we feel is a sign that we're not telling ourselves the truth, even though we're not consciously lying to ourselves. But what we tend to do when we feel the pain is we tend to distract ourselves. We drink it away, sex it away, drug it away, social media away, shop it away, travel it away, work it away, just so that we don't feel the pain. But the pain is a blessing. The pain is a messenger. The pain is a mirror. The pain is feedback trying to get our attention, showing us that in some way, we're not in integrity. We're not in alignment in some mm -hmm. way. And so what we have to start doing is befriending the pain and asking the pain, what are you trying to teach me? Yeah. What are you trying to show me? Where am I not in alignment? Where am I not living my true integrity? When we lie to ourselves, it's meant to be painful. It's meant to be painful. And so... I think people can just begin there and start there. What lies am I telling myself? And just feeling the impact and the cost of those lies as a beginning point. Uh, do, do you suggest doing that in meditation, having the quiet or journaling or both? Either, yeah, I think resume? both. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think sometimes we keep ourselves so busy as human beings. You know, we run around. We're so busy, 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 busy. And I think that was one of the interesting things about this pandemic experience where for the first time we couldn't go anywhere and we couldn't run around and it freaked us out because, oh, shoot, now I can't stay busy because I think many times we're afraid of not being busy because we're afraid if I am not busy, then I might actually listen and be still and hear some truth that I don't want to hear. But if I distract myself then I won't actually have to hear it. And so I would invite people, create time and space in your daily life to be still, in that stillness, just listen. In that listening, yes, meditate. But also sometimes the danger becomes we use meditation as a way or a spiritual bypass to bypass the feeling, the true feeling. Let me just meditate this feeling away. Let me just spiritualize this feeling away. It's all good. It's all God. Let me just transcend it away rather than just integrate it and acknowledge like, this hurts. I'm not going to distract myself. I'm not going to meditate away. I'm going to face it. And so, yes, journal, 
write about it, get your truth out without any filter, then that begins that process. Even if someone were to just say, you know what, for 15 minutes a day, I'm going to sit and just do nothing, no phones, no devices, and just see what's present. To me, that's a start. Just to sit and just do nothing and just be with oneself. That is a, that's a huge start. Then you can journal and see what's there and then see what's next. Yeah, you got to feel your feelings or it's going to come out somewhere anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no two ways about it. Yeah, the couples that, that lasted during the pandemic, boy, yeah, because <laughs> people were splitting up that people were like, wow, I never thought they <laughs> you're like, wow, this is how I really feel about you, right? Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't think they'd split up, but yeah, <laughs> that 24 7 thing. So, how do you make more time for yourself? Do you take that time to sit? Do you go out and just take walks and make sure you get outside every day? Do you, what do you do? I, yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, for me, it's nothing fancy. Every morning I exercise. That's my self time exercise. Yeah. That's, and that's non negotiable. Yeah. And that, that will mean if I have to be at the airport by 4 a.m., I'll wake up at 1 a.m. Or, you know, if I have to be at the airport at 7, I'll, I'll exercise it. 3.30, and because that allows me to process and think and, and, and just reflect also. And I'll sit throughout the week, three, four times in the week, and just journal, just put my thoughts on paper as a way to just process my feelings and process whatever is going on inside. And sometimes you end up surprised, like, wow, I didn't know I was even thinking this, didn't know I was even feeling this. And so it's just really simple ways of just uh, being with myself through the exercise, through meditation, through journaling. Yeah, the usual. Nothing that's that different, I guess. What's the hardest challenge that you've gone through personally, and how did you get through it? I can't say there's one. I mean, there's been so many, you know, so many. I write about it in my book, My Mother Passing Away. That was a real challenge. But on, on a whole nother level, incredibly beautiful. When we talk about surrender, there's a difference between acceptance and surrender. And to me, here's a real key, because how I got through the challenging moment, challenging time of my mother's death was really pointing to what I'm about to say. Many times we don't move into authentic, open-hearted surrender. Surrender is the full open-hearted participation with the process of life that is happening. Like this is happening and I'm going to open to it and I'm going to use whatever's happening for my highest good. I'm surrendering to this experience right now. Acceptance might be like, okay, it's happening. I accept it's happening. I'm a bit pissed off that it's happening, but it is what it is, but I'm not participating fully and, and I'm just going to deal with it, right? To truly move into surrender, open-hearted surrender, there's a phase in the middle that often we miss. And this phase is grieving. Grief is a doorway and portal to authentic surrender. But in our culture, we're not taught to feel our feelings. We're not taught to grieve because there's a fear of if I grieve or feel my feelings, then it's going to last forever. I'll never come back. It's going to overwhelm me. It's going to be too much. And so what we do is we avoid it. We distract ourselves. We don't feel the feelings. And so we're also afraid. Sometimes we do a spiritual bypass where as a way to not deal with our feelings, we spiritualize it. Like it's all good. It's all God. It's all good, which is true, but it doesn't honor the layer of grief that is unprocessed and undealt with, sometimes not feeling the grief and acknowledging and dealing with the grief becomes the ego strategy of denial. Denial as a way of, if I don't acknowledge, for instance, that my mother died, then I can always like 
they don't have to really acknowledge that it's really happened. And I can always stay connected to her in some way. But if I really acknowledge the grief, it's a letting go on one level. You see, surrender is a death. It's a death of an idea. It's a death of a relationship. It's a death of who we thought we were. It's a death of an identity. It's a death of moving from one stage of one's life to another stage and phase of one's life. Well, I'm no longer 20. I'm 30. I'm no longer 30. I'm 40. I'm no longer 40. I'm 50. It's a surrender that happens. And so to really acknowledge the grief is to acknowledge what was, is to acknowledge the past, is to then let go, to, uh, to give oneself the space to let go of what was. And so all feelings remain present until fully felt and no feelings last forever. And the feelings that we don't feel and acknowledge fully authentically will tend to manifest in unhealthy ways. And so when we can just be with the grief and acknowledge, not wallow in it, but be with it fully, consciously, with intention, we're able to let the grief go in stages. Yeah, there's a fine line there, definitely between the wallow and just feel your feelings fully, leaning into them and... This is how, this is how, just, this might help people also. I would just say that sometimes people think, they tell me, I've been feeling my feelings forever. I've been feeling them and it's still present. But we think we're feeling our feelings, but we don't realize that we're busy thinking about our feelings, justifying, resisting, rationalizing, analyzing, trying to understand the feelings and not really just being with the feelings authentically. And there is a difference. So I tell people how to feel your feelings. Simple. On one level, simple. Take the label off of the feelings, grief, sadness, you know, take the label off and just allow yourself without label, without preconceived idea to experience the sensation, experience the sensation of the grief in quotation marks, just in your body. What is the sensation? And when you can be with the sensation of the grief, just be with it and notice where it is, notice what happens. Just notice what happens. When you can just be with it, you get into a relationship with it, you can fully experience it. And you start seeing that every feeling has its own natural cycle. And maybe grief has layers, like an onion has layers and has layers. And so maybe one day you feel one one layer of that grief. Another day, there's another wave. Another day, there's another wave. And each time you just be with it fully, embracing, surrendering to the experience without resistance, an aspect, a layer, a dimension of that grief dissolves. But so being with the feeling, not as an idea or concept or trying to resist it, but as just as a pure sensation, pure energy, then we we're actually experiencing it. Right. Your jaw's tight or it's in your heart and chest or it's in your yeah. a tight stomach or your hands, you notice wherever it is. And it moves. I, For me, at least, I, if I stay with it, I notice it'll start moving through my body. That's what I notice, at least, if, I, if I'm able to stay with it and not yeah. go back into my head. <laughs> It's a process. Yes. That's at least for me. I always think people who've been to Indo- India a lot are a lot more evolved. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm in Bali, though, I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of there. <laughs> it's a whole different energy. Do you have a message of hope you want to give? In terms of hope for... Just, in, it just a message of hope. It's a question. There's no parameters on that question. Just Wow, I think... Hope. You know, I was speaking to someone about this the other day. They were looking at the world and they were feeling a bit powerless and they were feeling a bit hopeless as they were looking at what's happening politically in the world and the climate and, you know, crypto and the you know, stock market and real estate. And the recession. <laughs> well, always, those things always change. I don't know if I like. So they husband, were feeling hopeless. I, I, yes, I know. It's so hopeless. I, I just have to. I don't ever mention this, but that's what my husband does for 
a living. And one day he came home and he's, he said something about the stock market going down or something. And I said, if you came home every day saying what direction that all of that went, we wouldn't be together. It changes every single day, I'm sure. I don't pay attention. I mean, yeah, that stuff are, goes up and down. Yes, it's the nature of life. <laughs> and so I just, I just feel like in the midst of a, a real incredible awakening right now on planet Earth, and even though it might seem like we're going through some challenging, intense times, but I really believe that old systems are collapsing. Old ways of doing things are collapsing. Old economic models are collapsing. Old financial systems are collapsing. And for anything new to be born, the old has to collapse. The old has to be released. You know, for a baby to be born, it has to push through and leave its comfort zone and go through the birth canal to be born into a new world. That caterpillar has to leave its shell so that it can be birthed into the butterfly. And so right now, I feel as though we're in that process right now where, you know, in any true authentic healing process, mental, emotional, psychological, therapeutic healing process, the unconscious suppressed belief systems, emotions, feelings, shadow has to be brought to light to be seen so that we can face it and heal it and release it and bring loving to it and clear it. And so it feels as on planet Earth, everything is coming up. Everything is coming up for us to see. That is reflected in politics and finances and the world. And, you know, everything is coming up. The collective unconscious and shadow is coming up for us to face, to see and release. And so I feel as though we, we are in the process of a tremendous purification collectively, like never before. And it's not that the world is going crazy. The world is getting more sane and sobering and purifying and healing through this time. And so I am very hopeful, and I am very hopeful during this time. It's easy to look at the world sometimes and go, oh, this is wrong, that's wrong, this president, that president. This To me, it, I don't care who's president. It doesn't matter who's prime minister. It doesn't matter who's the mayor. I mean, sure, maybe we have our preferences, but the truth is the world is a mirror manifestation of the collective consciousness of all of us combined. The world is a projection of our consciousness combined, and we may not be able to change the world out here, or change the government out here, but each and every one of us has the power. Each and every one of us has the power and the control to change ourselves. And I think when we change ourselves, when we look at the world and we go, wow, I don't like this, 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 and this, we have to ask ourselves, what is this person? What is this leader? What is this government? What does this reflect to me about myself? Because in so many ways, we look at the world that's at war. We feel hopeless. We lose hope. But in so many ways, we're at war in our own consciousness, dropping bombs of self-hatred daily. We have so much internal conflict and division within ourselves daily. It's easy to look at a leader in politics and go, they have no integrity, but in so many ways, we betray ourselves and don't have the integrity with ourselves daily. And so I think what we can all do is take the feedback from the world and say, you know what, I'm going to do my part to make the world a better place by healing myself, by making peace with myself, by loving myself. And so I am hopeful because I see that there is a quickening happening on planet Earth like never before, which for me, I feel we are in the midst of the greatest spiritual revolution that the world has ever seen. And we are in the process of like making a quantum leap in consciousness like never before. So to me, every one of us listening to this conversation, we incarnated at this particular time in human history for a reason. It's no accident that you incarnated. It's no accident that you're here. Your soul chose to be here and we can no longer go to sleep or be in a coca coma. It's time for us all to wake up 
and participate in the grand process of evolution that is happening. To me, I'm excited. Well, that was an incredible message of hope. When you asked what I meant. <laughs> I thought that was great. I talked to this rabbi and she doesn't, she's very brilliant. And she doesn't remember telling me this. I reminded her a couple years later. She told me when I was incredibly disheartened after one particular election, and she said the world needed to be shook up. I'm paraphrasing. Yes. Yes. And she said, and so it just needed a big shaking and and that's what's happening. And I just, I've held on to that. I, you know, well, I loved your caterpillar. Well, I loved all of it. I loved the birthing. I loved all, and I've yeah. held on to that. Anyway, I reminded her a few years later when she got arrested in New York, her <laughs> 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 whole congregation. And she's very cool. So uh, I was going to ask you what to do about negative self-talk in your head, but we know what to do. And I th- think you kind of address that. Yeah, just because yeah. a voice is in your head doesn't mean it's true. It's just the yeah. boy. Observe yeah. it, notice it, love it. Yeah, that's good. Is there anything else I should have asked you that will be done? You'll say, ah, Lauren never asked me about. No. No, yeah. We had a lovely conversation. Yeah, I thought that was great. I loved your message of hope, too. That was a great place to end. Thank you so much for being a guest today on 52 Weeks of Hope. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Coot's messages of healing, staying true to yourself, and to trust the process. Such great messages to take into your week ahead. If you're on the email list, I give suggestions of how to get clarity and relief in the moment. Super important during these times. Remember to be kind to yourself this week, watch your negative self-talk, and give yourself the same patience and compassion that you'd give to a friend or at least to your dog. Be sure to tune in next week for an uplifting episode from founder of Forever Fierce Midlife Matters, Catherine Grace O'Connell. She's an ageism positivist who just six years ago, she was on death's doorstep from unresolved trauma, Lyme's disease, and a whole host of other maladies. It's an incredible story of rebirth to success. You won't want to miss next week's episode. She's really unbelievable. Also, something new is coming. I'm starting to invite some of you on for confidence and clarity boost sessions. If you feel like you're struggling, can use a little bit of a boost, you might be interested in this. Here's who it's ideal for. If you're feeling burned out, jealous because you see others doing what you wish you were doing, you feel like life's passing you by and you're not doing what you're really aligned and should be doing while you're here, your inner critic's going nonstop and you're ready to live an empowered life, fulfilled where your path is clear and focused, then this might be for you. If you want to just kind of jump on to be first in line, on, not be on a wait list or anything, just go to the website at 52weeksofhope.com and hit the link to sign up for the boost sessions or DM me. I've already started doing these, so you can be in the beta group. Just let me know that you're interested. I also want to thank Alex Rose for a really nice review on Apple Podcasts. Part of what she wrote says that the podcasts are helpful, informative, and they help her breathe easier, which is just so fulfilling for me. And thank you so much, Alex Rose. Your reviews really do make a difference. And I'm really grateful that you took the time to write that. I really appreciate you. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to share the love and tell two of your friends. Coot was so amazing. Let them know that you enjoyed it. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening. 